Hi everyone, welcome to Optimize Interviews Ethics Scenarios. So this is the feedback session for the bad answer um, on the scenario on mental capacity. So just to remind everyone, uh, you're the IMT doctor looking after an 85-year-old gentleman with a background of severe heart failure, COPD, CKD, and cognitive impairment. Uh, this gentleman has been admitted to hospital with acquired uh, community-acquired pneumonia uh, and needing intravenous antibiotics. The admitting team is, has established a DNAR, and uh, unfortunately, the daughter who he has the last part of attorney disagrees and would like you to remove it. Um, so. First of all, I, what I want to say is actually, from from a structure perspective, I think you had a reasonable structure in your answer. Uh, you were firstly going to um, check the legality of the power of attorney, so that I think that's important, and you mentioned that very clearly that you check that the daughter has the correct paperwork to give them the lasting power of attorney. You also talked about the fact that you would want to talk to person who has the last and private attorney to gather more information to understand their perspective. Um, perhaps it would have been better if you had informed me about the purpose of that interview, so how you would conduct that interview, um, you know, whether you would do any sort of background reading first uh, on the previous discussion that have been had, was it with the involvement of the private attorney and, and um, or was it simply with the patient um, and whether um, you would find out the basis as to why the ward basing has been established. So that may be that you talk to your consultant or you may look at the notes um, and read that about the discussion that is documented regarding the ward basing of care. But not just that, you know, this person clearly has been admitted with a, a pneumonia needing intravenous antibiotics. You know, you might want to get an idea about their clinical status at the moment, you know, is the DNAR the most important thing at this right moment in time? Or is the patient in a situation where they simply need antibiotics and that decision regarding DNA CPR, is that a big issue at the moment or a little issue? Clearly, you know, it's not good to take away a DNAR form uh, from a patient that's, you know, got that decision in place. But, you know, if it's not such a big issue at this current moment in time, then, you know, you do have time to talk to various people to get an opinion. Um, the what, one thing I would like you to have done better would have been to assess the patient first, get an idea as to who those discussions about escalation were had with. So well, if the patient, for example, has capacity, even though they have cognitive impairment, as you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a um, spectrum and people can be on either end of that spectrum. So if you are, if you have mild cognitive impairment and the patient is able to um, have a, a, you know, a competent discussion with you regarding the ceilings of care, escalations of care, then it's important that you establish that. And in that case, actually, the patient has capacity, uh, and they can give, you know, and then the, you can have a, you know, then then actually the point of power of attorney is irrelevant. But as you know, you know, it's always important to involve family, involve patients and give them a holistic approach when it comes to patient care. So, you know, it may be that you organize a meeting with the patient, the family and actually get an opportunity to talk about the purpose of the DNAR and why it is put in place. And But also give the family an opportunity to listen about all the good things that you're doing 
um, to get their patient better, get, get their family member better. Um, now, escalation-wise, I think you did, you, you know, you clearly had the right perspective. You spoke, you mentioned that you talked to the, the parent team, the registrar involved, so that you are supported by a more senior person. Um, and, um, and, you know, and I think one of the things I, I think to take this beyond um, a standard answer, you know, is you are in training to become a registrar. So really your role, you know, is to, to assume the role of a registrar soon. Yeah. So the, the way to do that is to kind of preempt what a DNAR is and how, what the legal basis of that is. So for example, it is, you know, it's important to mention that actually while patients can, patients or families can, can refuse offered treatment, it's not really their responsibility to demand treatment. So the purpose of a DNAR is to say, actually these certain types of treatments may be of benefit for the patient. And that is what we call beneficence. And you mentioned that in your answer, but actually certain other treatments, for example, intubating someone who has severe COPD, um, putting them on a ventilator or, or renal replacement therapy when, when there's no destination therapy available like dialysis in the future. Um, you know, and if the patient's cognitive impairment is such that you know, it's, um, you know, we need to establish whether that's just delirium or whether that's dementia. If it's dementia and it's advanced dementia, then, then you know, there is no reversible element to that. There's, you know, it's, it's a, a determinal condition depending on what stage they're in. So, you know, so having an idea about that. So then you can say that actually certain therapies, if you were to offer it to a patient, will only cause them harm, discomfort and distress. In which case, actually, one of the pillars that you would want to talk about is non-maleficence, that you would not want to cause the patient undue pain and suffering when it's not going to change the overall outcome. But you need to be clear in your mind. And I think what I would mention is that you would read through the notes, have a discussion with your team members and actually, actually establish what therapies will be beneficial to the patient, what therapies will not be beneficial to the patient. And that may even involve talking to the, your intensive care colleagues, get an opinion from them. That may also, you know, reassure your patient's family members that you've actually taken the initiative to do those, have those discussions. So, you know, doing that is what would give you the extra edge, I think, because it shows that you take initiative to have the relevant discussions and you, you have a very um, uh, intelligent discussion about the various different types of ward-based ceiling of care. Um, and so I think overall, that's a very, very good answer. Um, but I think there are certain things that you need to uh, involve to in order to get the maximum points, which we talked about. Um, again, I remind everyone, have a structure. And I think it's very important that you highlight um, certain keywords so that it gives it sort of um, uh, points your examiner in the right direction and get, it gives them the ability to give you points. So, for example, the fact that um, if the patient has capacity in this decision-making process, it's really, you need to kind of, on information governance perspective, you need to really check with your patient first. 
Secondly, if they have capacity, then the power of attorneys, while they're relevant, yes, you can involve them, but actually the fact that the patient is capacitous means that they take priority in your discussion. Secondly, um, autonomy, you know, has there been previous discussions? Uh, has, is there a CMC in place, uh, which is a continuing medical care um, note in place to say what the patient's previous wishes were in the in the event that they that they lose capacity, almost like an, an advanced directive. Um, and uh, talking about the keywords that you can mention to uh, about the you know beneficence, non-maleficence, etc. Um, you know, and for that sort of um, signpost, your uh, so that signpost your examiners. Excellent, well done. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.